Welcome to the Denver Community Church Teaching Podcast. Whether you attend our 10 a.m. gathering on Sundays here in Denver, are just checking us out, or listen every week from far away, our hope is that by engaging with Scripture, together we can explore and participate in the life of Jesus so that we can be a healing presence in our world. As you listen to this teaching, allow it to begin a conversation between you and God, you and the Bible, and you and your community. If you have any questions about DCC or this teaching, you can email us at info at denverchurch.org. To get connected or find out more about what's going on in and around our community, you can visit our website at denverchurch.org or download our app by searching Denver Community Church in the App Store. And if you want to financially support the healing work we are doing as we invest in our community while setting aside 20% of every dollar given to support our partners locally and around the globe, you can text the words Denver Church to 77977. That's Denver Church to 77977. Know that spaces like ours can only exist through the radical generosity of those who call DCC home. Thank you for being here. Let's get to the teaching. Morning. How are we doing? Good. Someone's great. Sarah's great. Uh Uh-oh. Here we go. Good morning. My name is Amanda Lum, and I am the teaching and adult ministries pastor on staff here at DCC. So good to be here with all of you this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 6. If you do not have a Bible but you'd like one, there should be one beneath the seat in front of you. If you've been with us in this season, you know that we had the gift of hearing from some of our friends over the summer, but last week, Becca actually uh, started us back up in our uh, study of the Gospel of Luke. And so we looked at last week some conflict that the Pharisees have with Jesus and his disciples about fasting. And since the Pharisees have shown up on the scene, they've been stirring conflict They're just making a mess, right? And this morning, we're going to look at two more tension-filled interactions that Jesus and his disciples have with the Pharisees. And at the center of these conflicts is one very important day, the Sabbath. And so let's begin reading together uh, at the start of chapter 6. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, what are you doing or why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David and his, when he, sorry, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave them to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it. He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. 
So Luke tells two stories here about Jesus and his disciples being followed, watched, and questioned by the Pharisees. And while these stories are quick, they are packed full of drama. The Pharisees, they've only just entered the narrative back in chapter 5, yet they still have made quite the impression up until this point. Luke's made clear the growing tension between Jesus and the religious elite. He's told story after story that highlights the growing discomfort and disdain that the Pharisees have for Jesus and his disciples. Now, these two stories from this morning, well, these stories only elevate that reality for the reader. These stories are actually really complicated, and they're packed full of details that we could spend months unpacking. There's no shortage of interpretations or opinions about these complicated verses, but at the center of these two stories is one very, very important day, the Sabbath. So that's what we're going to focus on this morning. We're going to talk about the Sabbath. Simply put, the Sabbath is a day of rest. It's a day that's set aside for rest, so no work. God, in the Ten Commandments, asks his, he, his people to remember the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. Now, as Luke starts each story, he's clear to mention that the events are taking place on the Sabbath. This is a key detail in the story, one that we can't miss. Because in Jesus' day, there were endless debates and questions about the Sabbath, about what was permitted on the Sabbath within the Jewish tradition. The Sabbath was no lighthearted matter. Observing the Sabbath was central to any devoted follower. It was one of the most distinctive elements in first century Judaism. This is why we see conflict surrounding the Sabbath so frequently between Jesus and the religious elite. The Gospels actually record six different instances where they're arguing about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a big deal. Now, its importance is not what's at question in these stories. What's in question is what was permissible for Jesus and the disciples to be doing on this holy day. The question is, are they working? That's the question. Did what, or is what the, uh, Jesus and the disciples are doing in the field, is that considered work? If they're not to be working, then if Jesus heals a man in the synagogue on the Sabbath, is that considered work? This is what the Pharisees are so concerned about. Are they working? And the matter of what constituted work was highly disputed in Jesus' day. This was a big deal. And the Pharisees, they took this very seriously. Because their identity and purpose as a group was keeping the nation of Israel faithful to God. And they did this by ensuring that the law that God had given to Moses was kept. One of those laws was keeping the Sabbath. So to ensure that the law was not violated, they created more laws to protect the law. So they wanted to make sure that God's law was not violated, so they gave more rules and more regulations to make sure that no one would get even close to violating that law. See, these laws that they created, this was the oral tradition or the Mishnah. And, and in the Mishnah, there's actually 39 categories of activities that were considered work on the Sabbath. 
So according to Mishnah, the disciples and their actions in the field actually violate four of those laws. They're guilty of reaping, threshing, winnowing, and preparing food. This is why the Pharisees asked them, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You're breaking the law. What are you doing? This is why the Pharisees get so upset when Jesus heals the man in the synagogue. Healing was only permitted on the Sabbath when someone's life was at stake. And the man in the synagogue, he's not at death's door, yet Jesus still heals him. And this, in the Pharisees' eyes, is a clear violation of the law. They're furious with Jesus, and they start actually making plans about what they're going to do to him. Now, here's what's interesting. The Pharisees' reactions in these stories, well, they're a bit ironic. They're so set on keeping the Sabbath, but their actions and their words and their presence in these stories well, they're a bit contrary to what the Sabbath is, does, and was meant to create and cultivate in humanity. It appears that in their zeal to keep the Sabbath holy, they lost sight of what the Sabbath truly is. Y'all, the Sabbath is so much more than simply not working. The Sabbath is an invitation to experience God's presence, to rest in the acceptance of the divine. This day of rest is about ceasing our work, our striving, our hustling. See, Sabbath is an invitation to simply be with God. It's not just a day off. It's not about doing nothing. No, the Sabbath is about allowing rest to do something in us. The Sabbath, you know, when we participate in true rest, it cultivates something in us. This day simply isn't about not working, about saying no to work. It's about saying yes to the things in our everyday lives that remind us that we're standing on holy ground. For six days, we work, we create, we produce, and on the seventh day, we say to God, create something in me. That is the Sabbath. And when we recognize what the Sabbath was created to be, we can understand why it was so central to the people of faith. Because for the faithful, participating in Sabbath, observing the Sabbath was sheer delight. Sabbath is so much more than just saying no to work. It's saying yes to something new. See, for the faithful, observing Sabbath is about us exploring delight. I mean, it's difficult to even capture the beauty and depth of this holy day. But to give us a little vision for it, I wanted to share a few of my favorite quotes about Sabbath. The Sabbath is the presence of God in the world open to the soul of man. It's possible for the soul to respond in affection. Shabbat or Sabbath is like nothing else. Time as we know it does not exist for these 24 hours, and the worries of the week soon fall away. A feeling of joy appears. 
The smallest object, a leaf or a spoon, shimmers in soft light and the heart opens. Shabbat is a meditation of unbelievable beauty. The Sabbath is the inspirer, the other days, the inspired. I can get on board with that, right? This is the Sabbath. The Sabbath is an exploration of delight. It's an invitation to find what you delight in and to be reminded that you are delighted in. Every Sabbath, we are invited to remember the Psalm 18 when we're told that God rescued us because he delights in us. That's it. See, the whole, this holy day of rest is about delight. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel says, what we are depends on what the Sabbath is to us. So considering this, I wonder what the Sabbath had become to the Pharisees. Because from these accounts, it appears that it was less about delight and more about keeping the rules, about doing it right. Is it possible that they were so focused on keeping the Sabbath that they forgot to experience it? Because let's be honest, y'all. The Pharisees, they're some of the least delightful people in all of the Gospels. I wonder, had the Pharisees lost their way? Did they end up making this beautiful day of rest about work? Working to keep and enforce all these rules and regulations. Working to make sure that people were following the rules and doing it right. I mean, really, they are hustling, aren't they? Think about this first story. Just try and picture it. The Pharisees are following the disciples through a grain field to make sure they're following the rules. Does that not sound like work? I mean, just the, the way that Luke tells this story, when you sit with it and you read it like a hundred times, you're like, this is funny. It's almost comical how he's telling it. The disciples, they're just doing their thing, right? They're walking through a grain field, traveling from one city to the next. They're eating some food. And it's almost like the, almost like the Pharisees are kind of popping up over the crops, being like, I see what you did. <laughs> you can just see them walking through the field. They turn a corner and they like run into a Pharisees and they're like, I saw that. That is a violation. I mean, were the disciples like, did they turn awkwardly to each other and be like, did you know he was here? Where did he come from? Like they're like wiping their hands off. I don't do anything, right? I mean, it's funny. It's ridiculous, right? I mean, in their attempt, did they make rest an obligation instead of a delight? They're tirelessly working to be sure that the rules are followed. This sounds like work, doesn't it? In their pursuit for purity, had they lost sight of what the Sabbath really was? Is this why Jesus never really answers their question? He never gives them a direct answer to their questions. It's almost like he's saying to them, you're asking the wrong questions. 
And while it's easy for us to judge the Pharisees in this, it's not really that difficult to see how they got where they were. It's not difficult to see how they made this beautiful day of rest into work. It's not difficult for me because I do it all the time. When I first graduated from college, my first job was in campus ministry. And one of my favorite practices that I picked up um, from the organization that I was on staff with was a day with the Lord. You guys, they gave us a day every single month to Sabbath. Like, that was a part of our job. It's beautiful. And this practice has actually really shaped who I am. My husband even, he's like, have you taken a day with the Lord yet this month? Right? It's really shaped who I am. And still, 14 years later, I still do everything I can to ensure that I'm taking a monthly day with the Lord. Now, this didn't need to look any specific way. They didn't give us any rules or goals. So naturally, I made some. I came up with a list of things that I thought one should be doing on a day with the Lord. So, of course, I had prayer lists, and I read tons of scripture. There were lots of candles. I found organizations that I needed to serve with because one should be serving on a day with the Lord. There was journaling and coffee and worship music. I mean, it was great, right? I had all, I was set up for success. I made all this, this list of things that I should be doing on a day with the Lord to make sure that I was like winning at the day with the Lord thing. And here's what I noticed. After doing that for a couple months, I realized how not rested I was. I realized that I wasn't really experiencing delight. I was getting my stuff done. But I wasn't happy or rested or renewed, restored. Actually, I walked away from those days with the Lord thinking, did I do it right? Did I do enough? Now, all those things that I just mentioned, those are actually really beautiful ways to spend time in the presence of God. But for me, what I had done, I had made them into some sacred to-do list. I made them into an obligation. They weren't about delight. They were about doing it right. And I did this because I wanted to know the right way to do a day with the Lord. I wanted to know the rules and the goals so I could be like, yes, crushing this, right? Sometimes we just want to know the rules because it's easier. We just want to know the right way to do it so we can be like, yeah, I did it right. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. I'm like, am I the only one, right? Now, I wonder, I wonder is this what the Pharisees did? They had this good heart. I want to do, we want to honor God. We want to honor this day. We want to do it right. But they just lost track. They got lost somewhere. And it came about doing the right things the right way instead of experiencing the delight of that day. Maybe they lost their way. Gosh, in an attempt to honor the Sabbath, they missed out on experiencing it. They worked so hard to do it right. And they made the Sabbath into something it was never intended to be work. They made it work. Well, no wonder they're so angry. I mean, have you noticed how angry the Pharisees are? This is actually what stood out to me most, reading these stories over and over and over again in chapter 6, just how angry the Pharisees are. Every time we hear about them, they're complaining, they're criticizing, interrogating, accusing people. 
They're angry, and their anger has them searching for more reasons to be mad. Verse 7 tells us that the Pharisees and, and that the religious elite, they're looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They're looking for it. It's almost like Luke is trying to make a point here about the Pharisees, and that point being the Pharisees are out of control. Even the language Luke uses in these verses, it speaks to how over the top they are. When it says that the Pharisees are watching Jesus in the second story, the Greek verb used here for watch is to spy out or to look secretly out of the corner of one's eye. Y'all, when I read this for the first time, I was like, no way, they are creeping. What are they doing? You guys picture this. They're in the back of a gathering and they're like, what's he doing? What's he doing? Watching you. They're creeping around in the background. How uncomfortable. All they can see is ways. They're looking for justification. They're angry. They're resentful. And they're looking for ways to justify how they're feeling. And they're doing some kind of uncomfy things. Following people around fields, creeping around in the back of the service, right? It's weird. But anger can make us do some ridiculous things, can't it? Have you ever noticed when you're angry with someone that like everything they do just gets under your skin? Everything that person does is like deeply offensive to you. You walk into the kitchen, you're getting another cup of coffee at work, and you walk in and Molly's there. Freaking Molly. You look at her and you're like, look at how she's chewing her gum. Who chews her gum like that? Look at Molly. She's just sitting in here chewing her gum like she owns this place. She doesn't own this place. And like 10 minutes later, you're still talking about Molly chewing her gum, right? Anger, it just takes control sometimes. And it has us looking for ways to justify why we feel that way. Even if it's something so ridiculous as like, look at how she's chewing her food, right? Anger can make us do some crazy things. See, from the moment that Luke introduces us to the Pharisees, they're angry. And their anger and resentment that they have, this anger and resentment they have towards Jesus just builds and builds and builds. Their anger festers and their resentments have them searching for justification. Luke tells us that after Jesus heals the man's hand, that the Pharisees are furious. And the word that Luke uses here to communicate their anger, it's actually a really strong term. Like it speaks to irrational anger or even pathological rage. They are raging mad. And here's the saddest part of this story. The Pharisees are so angry that they miss the miracle that takes place right in front of them. A man is miraculously healed in their presence, but they can just get more upset. On a day that's meant to be about experiencing the delight and goodness of God's presence, their anger has blinded them to God in their midst. Instead of delighting in this man's restoration, they hold their grudge. Isn't that sad? 
And while I desperately want to judge the Pharisees and the fact that they missed this miracle right in front of them, I wonder, am I so different? Are we so different today? I mean, it feels safe to say that we're living in some pretty angry times, aren't we? Actually, a study from 2018 showed at that time, we uh, as human beings were experiencing and living with more anger than we had in over a decade. And that was before the world was gripped with fear and pain and loss and anxiety from a global pandemic. I mean, can we imagine what these numbers would be like today? And we don't have to look far to see or experience anger in our world. Heck, we don't even have to leave our couches. Open up any social media app, watch the news, read the daily headlines, and you'll see just how soaked in anger our world is. Brene Brown talks about anger in her book, Atlas of the Heart, and she talks about how oftentimes anger is actually just a mask for more difficult emotions like regret or shame or pain. She talks about how it's easier for us to say that we're angry with ourselves than it is for us to say that we're disappointed with ourselves. That it's easier to say that we're angry with someone than to tell them that they hurt us. The anger is easy. Well, no wonder our world is so angry. After living through the pain and trauma of the last few years, it makes sense that we would take the path of least resistance. Look, I get needing to choose what's easy right now. Anger is easy. So we stay mad. And we hold on to our resentments. Just like the Pharisees. Now, if you're anything like me, it's become almost easy to talk about our angry world, right? And we can talk about it in this, like, distant, like, out there way, like, yeah, the world is really angry. Did you hear what Jenny said the other day? <sighs> right? We can talk about it like it's something out there. It's not here. But if we're honest, if I'm honest, I'm angry, too. I'm resentful, too. I'm hurting too. And in the moments that I could admit this, that's when I wonder, in my anger, what am I missing? Are there miracles happening in front of me that I can't see? Is God in my midst, but I can't see her? Is delight inviting me, but I can't hear? So I ask again, am I so different? Are we so different? Just a few months back, I was at a birthday party for my dad, and I have a big family, and we have big opinions. And no surprise, we don't all agree. And one of my family members, as we sat down to lunch, he started to share some of his really strong opinions about the pandemic and, and vaccines and masks, you know, some lighthearted topics for the day. And as he was sharing, he, without intending to, truly without intending to, said something that was deeply painful for me. And I felt the sting, but immediately anger. 
And I'm not proud to admit this, but I blew up on him. I lost it. I stood up and I was screaming at him and yelling. We were going back and forth. And guess what? That day wasn't about my dad's birthday anymore. It was about our argument and our fight and our yelling at each other. It was about our anger. And as we exchanged hurtful and heated words with each other, I lost sight of why I was even there. I stood up and I walked away and I was like, yeah, I was right. I told him. And then like a day later, I was like, what have I done? I called my dad and was like, I am so very sorry that I made that day about me and about our anger. I missed out on celebrating my dad. And as I tell the story today, I don't even feel like I know who that person is. It feels like I'm talking about someone who I don't even know or recognize. See, I got lost in my anger in the moment, and I forgot why I was even there. See, the Pharisees, they get so angry, they seem to have lost sight of the meaning behind the very day that they were so devoted to fighting for. And I wonder how different these interactions would have been for the Pharisees if they had been able to see what the Sabbath was really intended to be. I wonder if they had not been so focused on working to keep the, re the rules, so concerned about making sure everyone else was doing it right. I wonder if they could have experienced and encountered Jesus and the delight that we experience in his presence. I think Jesus knows they'd lost their way. I love how Jesus responds to the Pharisees in these tension-filled moments. I see so much compassion in how he interacts and engages with the Pharisees in their anger, when they're lost in their anger. See, when people act angry towards me, I'm like, listen, listen, no one has time for this right now. Nobody has time for this. And I just write them off. I see someone that I'm angry with in the room, and I'm like, hmm, Molly. <laughs> I'm, I'm not alone in this, right? I'm not going to go to that dinner because that person will be there. Oh, I can't even handle it, right? We just write people off. It could have been so easy for Jesus to just ignore their ridiculous actions, but he doesn't do that. He sees them. He's at the front teaching, and he's like, I see you, like, looking out of the corner of your eye. What are you doing? You know, he's looking at them, acting all weird in the back, and he's like, I see you. I see how locked you are in your own legalism about this day. Jesus doesn't play their game. Instead, he names what's going on. He knows what they're thinking. And he draws it front and center. He asks the man to stand in front of everyone. He asks his own questions about the Sabbath to the Pharisees. And then he heals this man and changes his life forever. And in doing so, in that moment, when the man hold his, holds his hand out, Jesus invites the Pharisees to see something different. He invites them to a new way of seeing, almost as if to say to them, this, this right here, this is what this day is about. See, Jesus does not challenge them to fix their anger but invites them to participate in what the Sabbath is really about. Restoration, renewal, and delight. So my question for you this morning is, 
What do you delight in? What reminds you that you are delighted in? What causes you to experience that deep joy, happiness even? When was the last time you felt delight? What were you doing? Who were you with? Where were you? Have fun with this. Get curious and playful. My goodness, we could use some fun. Yeah, amen, right? The other night, my kiddos and I, after dinner, we were just playing in our living room. I was chasing them, pretending to be a monster. We were wrestling. I was kind of throwing them around on the couch, and we laughed so hard that our sides hurt. And as we're getting ready for bed, my son, with this big grin on his face, looks at me and says, hey, mommy, is tomorrow Sabbath? And I was like, oh, no, bud, tomorrow's a school day. Like, we have a few more days until Sabbath. Why? And he goes, we were just having so much fun tonight. I thought tomorrow was Sabbath. And I had the biggest smile on my face. And I was like, oh, yes. And I was like, you know what, buddy? Tonight did feel like the Sabbath, didn't it? Have fun. Let's not make another list of things to do. What do you delight in? What reminds you that you are delighted in? Is it reading a book for fun? Is it when that song comes on on your shuffle and you're like, oh, this is my jam? Right? Is it, I don't know, drinking coffee from the perfect mug? And you know what I'm talking about. If you're that person, you're like, this is it. This is it right here. I mean, is it a good conversation with someone who just gets you? Or is it spending the day alone with no plans? Is it flowers on your table every day because they just make you happy? Is it going to your favorite restaurant and ordering that key lime pie that you just know? When the waiter sets it down in front of you, you go, I'm not even going to take a breath between bites. (laughs) Like, what? brings you delight. What reminds you that you are delighted in? This is what the Sabbath is about. And I hope that these questions, I hope you let them take root in you this week. And I hope that you can experience the invitation that they hold for you, which is this, to be reminded that God rescued you because he delights in you. This is the invitation of the Sabbath. Maybe, my friends, we are being invited to Sabbath with God. To take a day of rest in the presence and acceptance of God. To open our souls to God's presence and be reminded of who God is and who we're made to be. And maybe this is our first step in addressing our anger and the anger that we experience in the world. Maybe we start with delight. Oh, does that sound great? I mean, in a world where anger spreads more virally than anything else, we sure could use some delight. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying ignore our anger and just put on the rose-colored glasses of delight. That would help no one. What I am saying, though, is that maybe we start with the Sabbath. Maybe we start by opening ourselves, our souls to God and inviting God to create something in us. See, Jesus reaches out his hands to the Pharisees in their anger. 
and he invites them to experience the delight and goodness of God. We can enter into Sabbath rest exactly where we are. Angry, tired, weary, sad. And however we show up, we can experience delight. So instead of starting with another list of ways in which we can work on ourselves, why don't we start by resting in the presence of the one who created us and knows us best? Let's start by being reminded of the truest truth of who we are, which is loved. Friends, let's start with delight and see where it takes us. Let's start with the Sabbath and see what God will do. Let's pray. God, I am grateful this morning that you have rescued us because you delight in us. Not because of what we've done or will do, but because you find such great joy in being with us. Lord, I pray that we would open our souls to your presence, that we could experience delight. God, I'm excited to see what that will do in us and in our world. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.